This is the Pulse Podcast, and I'm Jeff Frost. I'm a second-year resident in physiatry at UBC, and your host today. We're going to be talking about starting a family in residency. This episode promises to be a doozy. There is so much information on this topic that we've decided to split things up into a mini-series made up of several half-hour episodes that cover the whole process. From thinking about starting a family, to pregnancy, then childbirth, and finally child-rearing. There's more to cover here than just one person can handle. We spent the better part of three weeks talking with your colleagues and experts in the field about what matters for residents that are thinking of starting a family. I can't possibly pilot this ship alone, so today I'm co-piloting alongside Kat Porter, an R2 in psychiatry at UBC. Hey Jeff, thanks for having me on. This whole starting a family and residency thing is a huge topic. There's just so much to talk about. It's really hard to decide where we should even start. Well, one question that I had is, why does residency matter? Lots of people decide to have children working all kinds of careers. What's so special about residency, and how does residency impact your ability to start a family? That's a really good question. While plenty of careers have their challenges when it comes to starting a family, residency has its own unique difficulties that can impact our decisions to have children. I caught up with Stacey Cabbage, who's a family medicine resident at UBC, a mother of six, and, on the side, keeps herself pretty busy completing a master's degree at UMBC. There, she's studying how residency impacts parenting. She had this to say about what makes residency special when it comes to starting a family. Extreme professional jobs have been defined as fast-paced with unpredictable workflows, large amounts of travel, and workplace presence of at least 10 hours per day. That's residency in a nutshell. Hmm. So these type of jobs, such as medical residency, exert pressure on professionals to center their lives around work, which can have a detrimental effect on relationships with partners and children because, you know, very little flexibility and control in your schedule during residency. There's very little that that resident can do about it, you know. So I think it it totally exacerbates an already difficult situation of parenting, just the lack of flexibility. Yeah, that description certainly fits residency. And that sets the stage nicely. Residency, with its inherent lack of flexibility, makes it difficult to attend appointments with your obstetrician, drop off your kids at school, and make it on time for the school play. Totally. We could definitely describe residency as an extreme career, and it will always affect our ability to be parents. And I guess that brings us back to the theme of the episode. Knowing up front that parenting and residency will be a challenge... Is it right for me? We should really begin by acknowledging that starting a family is a personal decision. For most of us, that decision is made with a partner that will help out raising our children. A lot of us just assume that one day we'll start a family, but it isn't for everyone. Before starting a family, it's worth asking yourself, is this really for me? (laughs) Right. I I really think that's a point worth going over. I had a chance to catch up with Neil. His wife just completed the Royal College exam in a tough specialty right after finishing her second mat leave. When I asked him if he could pass on one piece of advice to residents considering becoming parents, he had this to say. Make sure that as a couple, you you are really on the same page about the decision and what it will entail. He's right. This is a really important decision. You need to be sure it's right for you. That's why today we're going to examine the factors that should be considered when deciding to start a family in residency. The reasons for starting a family are as different as each specialty of medicine, and everyone has their personal reasons they chose to pursue this option or not. 
I caught up with a few residents who were all in different stages of deciding to have a family and got their thoughts. Yeah, I think so many factors. Um, I can speak sort of from my personal experience that, you know, uh, I, I got married just after medical school and, and now we've been together for a few years and we always considered that we would, or we always thought that we would probably have children at some point in our lives and you know as we get older into our 30s it's starting to to seem more and more like it's time and we're feeling a little more financially stable so it seems like this might be a good time and on top of that I've heard from lots of upper year residents and staff there seems to be this message that's passed on from year to year that residency is the best time to have kids. That's Sam. She's an R2 at UBC. As you can tell she had multiple reasons to start her family now. What was interesting was to hear how she felt more inclined from her program, including her older residents, to have kids at an earlier stage in residency. Now let's compare that to Kayla. She's an R5 at UBC who just gave birth to her son. Um, that's a good question. Uh, you know, we've all heard that there really isn't a good time to have kids, and this is especially true as a trainee because you're always busy, there's always a next step, but I, I've known for some time that I wanted to start a family, and... Uh, coming to the more senior years of my residency after all my in-house call was finished, that seemed like uh, it made the most sense to get started. For Kayla, she points out that for her, family was always a goal. Once her call requirements decreased, it just made sense for her to get started having kids. I I totally get that. Call is punishing. It It must be tough for a young parent who has a new child and call to juggle. It it makes sense to me that as soon as in-house call was no longer a concern, Kyla would focus on starting that family she always wanted. It's just one less thing to juggle. But what about residents who suffer through in-house call for their entire residency? When is their good time? I'm glad you asked. I caught up with Claire, an internal medicine R2. While she can't ever really escape call, she had other factors that drove her decision. So it's a big question, I guess, but the answer is more about sort of the overall right time to start a family, I think. And so for many people, that is a couple of factors. And for me, that was age. So I came into residency by the time I got to residency, I was already 30. So picking a five-year program, I'd finish at 35. So the idea to me of getting out and then, you know, all that stress to start a family while you're trying to have a new practice and all that at the same time, it just didn't seem right. Versus starting in residency, it seems like a actually quite a supported time. Although it's very, very challenging in terms of the academic component and the demands on your time, it's uh, a time when you have parental leave benefits. You have sort of a clear amount of time that gets scooped out for you. So you just step out of residency and then you step back in. Versus being in practice, you know, if you're pregnant, you'd have to you'd have to do locums, and then what happened if you went to early labor? It would just be a little bit more complicated. Whereas with residency, you feel a little bit supported, especially in a big program with forty something people every year. You feel that if you hop out, that that space you believe is okay to get filled in, that there's enough people to sort of share the load, that that seems reasonable. As much as I like to think of myself as a teenager, the truth is I'm only a few months younger than Claire. So even though I don't have the same biological pressure as Claire, I I completely understand where she's coming from when it comes to age. There can just be a hard time limit to this. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest here, Jeff. The biological clock thing isn't really concerning for you. Whereas for young women in medicine, this is a very real concern. If you combine that with many grueling years of medical school and residency, our decisions are much more difficult. It can really become a balancing act between the right time in your professional life and your 
demanding biological clock, which can become frustrating. Yeah, I can totally get that frustration. I mean, there's real medicine here though, right? Like we all learned in medical school that an increased age of conception leads to increased health problems during and after pregnancy. Uh, are there higher rates of pregnancy complications for female residents? That's a really good question. And because I'm a psych, psych resident, I really had to look that one up. <laughs> I checked out the Physician Health Program of British Columbia's paper on the topic, titled Medicine and Motherhood, Can We Talk? It makes it clear that there is an increase in adverse events during pregnancy for female residents. It specifically cites our higher average age at the time of conception as compared to our peers as a main driver of those increased complications. Wait, female doctors have higher rates of pregnancy complications? That seems almost, like, unjust. You spend your life trying to learn how to help those with health conditions, only to find yourself at an increased risk of health problems as a result. Yeah, seems ironic, doesn't it? But unfortunately, realistically, we all really knew that was the answer. We always tell patients to get enough sleep, eat well, and exercise. But can you really tell me that anyone who does three-to-one call is really meeting those recommendations? <laughs> yeah, Dr. Heal thyself, right? But Claire went way beyond age in her answer. She talked about the support she felt by being in a large residency program. What's that about? That's a really big point. One we'll be diving into in detail in the next part of this series. For today, though, I think it's safe to say that we generally get rewarded for putting emphasis on our careers, which can lead to delays in having a family. But Claire seemed to think that she was protected from this potentially toxic aspect of medicine. Is she right? In many ways, she is. The real value of residency for the physician starting a family is that resident groups like the resident doctors of BC have already pre-negotiated the terms of family planning with your employer. In theory, there's nothing stopping a staff physician from negotiating family planning concerns in their employment contract, whether it be with their private medical office assistant, a hospital, or a private practice group. But it can be difficult to go through those negotiations. Resident groups have pre-negotiated what starting a family means with your employer. So a lot of that legwork is already done. And since the ne negotiations have already happened, it reduces the negative pushback. Right, as we all know from trying to find a nurse on break, it's hard to argue with union rules. <laughs> exactly. So I'm sure this is helpful, but what exactly is in place for resident physicians considering starting a family? I'm glad you asked. We can pretty much break it down into two categories. One, work requirements, and two, financial stuff. Ooh, didactic learning? Hit me, boss. Sarcasm noted there, Matt grad. But sometimes didactic learning is the most efficient. Okay, let's start with the easy one, work requirements. When a resident decides to start a family, if the resident is carrying the child, they will not be required to work for more than 12 consecutive hours after 24 weeks of pregnancy. So in practice, what this means is no overnight call after 24 weeks of pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely heard about this and uh, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes just beyond call. There's also a stipulation in our collective bargaining agreement that program directors work with residents to avoid unnecessary hazardous rotations during your pregnancy. This is really important for our colleagues in surgical programs that use a lot of intraoperative imaging technologies and specialties like emergency medicine that can be exposed to many hazardous infections on some of their rotations, specifically in the eMERGE during flu season. There are a few more stipulations that concern time off due to the loss of a pregnancy or medical complications as a result of pregnancy. We won't really go into details of that it's because it's really specific to each case, but know that if you have faced the loss of a pregnancy as either the pregnant partner or the supportive partner, 
or medical complications as a result of pregnancy, the collective bargaining agreement has thought of that too, and it's on your side. Okay, so I'm starting to get why residency is seen as the right time to start a family. Someone smarter than me has already thought about all the issues that might arise, and as you said, they've pre-negotiated a solution to these problems. I can see how you would totally be able to do this as a staff, but you might run into roadblocks or or just have a hard time getting buy-in. Yeah, exactly. It's not that it's impossible as a staff, it just is harder. And there's also leave post-pregnancy if a parent carried the child to term. The parent is entitled to 17 weeks of maternity leave. There is then an additional 35 weeks of parental leave that a couple can use as they desire. This totals to 52 weeks, or an entire calendar year. If the parent that carried the child to term chooses to use it all, It's important to note that 35 weeks is split between the couple in whatever manner they see fit. So if a male resident wants to take some form of paternity leave, he'd be using up part of the 35 weeks of parental leave. Additionally, if a family adopts, they are entitled to 35 weeks of parental leave with no maternity leave. Okay, I got it. So if I'm a female resident that carries the child, I can take up to a maximum of 52 weeks off without penalty. 17 of those weeks are protected from me only as the person who carried the child and the remaining 35, I can split with my partner as I see fit. Uh, Am I limited to just the 52 weeks if there's any kind of medical complication? That's a really great point. No, the 52 weeks only covers healthy pregnancies and deliveries. If you fall outside that, there is extra leave available, but you'll need to contact resident doctors of BC, your program director, and your own personal physician to work out what happens then. And does this affect my graduation date from residency? Very good catch. Yes, it 100% affects your graduation date. Any time taken off to start a family must be made up prior to the completion of residency. Unfortunately, starting a family isn't a backdoor into skipping some horrible off-service years. Ah, the physiatry resident in me that spent two years off-service, I had so much hope that I had just found a loophole. Ah, well, I guess I will have to do those two blocks of neurostroke and three blocks of ortho after all. Sorry, Jeff. You're not getting any out of that ortho or that neuro call. (laughs) I can hope. (laughs) Anyways, that covers number one, work duties. But uh, what about financial stuff? So that's a really good question. This gets kind of complicated really quickly. So I'm just going to kind of summarize it here. There is financial support available, but you must have worked 600 hours in the year prior to taking leave to qualify. If you haven't worked 600 hours, you don't qualify for the employment insurance which is the mechanism that provides funding for the parental leave. Got it. So, so taking leave right at the start of R1 might come with a financial cost. Unfortunately, yes. Okay, okay. So what are the financial benefits? Well, if you do meet those 600-hour requirement, you get a monthly maternity leave stipend of $863.87 during weeks 1 to 17 if you carry the child to term. For weeks 18 to 52, you are eligible for a monthly stipend of $547. These numbers may fluctuate with time, so unfortunately our podcast isn't going to age well. Oh man, that's like not actually that much money, eh? Yeah, there's a catch. It counts as income, so you also may lose some of it to income tax. And if you're able to work during maternity leave, some of your parental leave payments will be clawed back. But that's next level stuff, and we're not getting into it here. If you're crazy enough to moonlight on maternity leave, check with resident doctors of BC to see how it will affect your parental payments. Okay, so we've covered the two main areas that are pre-negotiated for you as a resident. Number one, leave from work, and number two, financial support. And these aren't benefits available to staff? 
Interesting that you asked. In BC, there is a program in place to support staff with up to $1,000 a month during weeks 1 to 17 of parental leave. But again, that's only weeks 1 to 17. And as a staff, you probably have many more expenses that need paying, such as assistant salaries. So as a delta between money in and money out, what's available to residents is likely to be better financially for most people. Okay, so there is some truth in all that hidden curriculum stuff about starting your family in residency. But uh, what about softer things like career goals? There's like, there's no union rules for protecting your career goals, right? So how does the decision to start a family impact your ability to attain, uh, how did that report frame it, professional achievement and scientific mastery? I think that's a really good question because I think it's something that we all kind of get concerned about. So I had the chance to speak to some residents that have, you know, been there, done that. Remember Kayla, the R5? This is what she said when asked if deciding to become a parent impacted her career trajectory. Yeah, you know, before kids, I probably would have said, yes, I'm concerned about that. But now that I have my son Felix, uh, like I would say a resounding no. Kayla's pretty clear. She's in the clear. I'm glad to hear that certain residents felt it will have no effect on their career goals. But was that sentiment widespread? Well, here's a different view. There's Claire, the R2 in internal medicine, who we've already spoken to on this episode. Here's what she had to say about the matter. Yes and no. I think the internal medicine and I guess pediatrics would also face this. Unfortunately, you have to do CARMS a second time. And so <laughs> that's challenging, but CARMS only happens on a one-year cycle. And so there's two ways that you can do that. One, you can either take a very, very short leave and, and not be behind a year, or you can be behind a year and however you choose to, to get to that point. So in, in that way for me, because I chose to take a six and a half month leave, so that was a seven block leave, and that was 100% my choice. I felt that I didn't want to take a year. That was the way I wanted to balance life and family, is I wanted to be a mom and be a resident rather than taking a whole year and, and stepping away from medicine. So I came back at six and a half months, and so that was a bit challenging knowing that I'm now off a year, despite the fact that I only wanted to take six and a half months and not really having control over that, that there's sort of... Now I have five and a half months or six and a half months, whatever it adds up to, to, to figure out what to do with that when it comes to next CARMS. I'll, I'll have a little bit of spare time. So by taking maternity leave, she's delayed her CARMS application. Uh, by delaying CARMS, she's delayed her graduation. But it, it almost sounds like she's going to have some extra time to compare a more competitive application, doesn't it? Oh, God, Jeff. You were a really big gunner in med school, weren't you? You know that paternal leave is busy, right? You know, with the parenting aspect of it it's not just time off work for research uh yeah i i knew that um and while you complete that face palm <laughs> i just I, i've got a thought-provoking question for you uh, what about all the partners like we've mostly talked to residents but usually there's two sides to the coin what about the partner what about their career and their goals are we just kind of ignoring them yeah i mean this is an entirely different factor that we all really need to consider Remember Neil from the start of the episode? This is what he had to say about parenting affecting his job. I have, I'm really, that was the other thing that I think we were really lucky on. I, my work is super flexible, so I can come and go whenever I need to. Sick kid, Yanny doesn't show up. So, you know, but my, fortunately my work just, I, I can work around that. So that was really great. I think if you had a, you know, sort of a rigid nine to five, that would be really hard. There's that word flexible again. Stacy used it earlier. So, I mean, residents lack flexibility and that impacts our ability to parent. 
Neil's really lucky. His work is much more flexible, so he's able to take on more of a parenting role than his partner when needed. Exactly. And that's something to consider when deciding whether or not residency is the right time to start a family for you. Do both you and your partner have a rigid work schedule? If so, will the rigidity of your work schedule change at the end of residency? Right. In many cases, parenting is a two-person job. Just because we don't have flexible schedules as residents doesn't mean we can rely on our partner to pick up some of the slack. Exactly. That doesn't seem fair. Right. Well, you know what, Kat? At this point, I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed and I think I need a break. Jeff, if you're feeling overwhelmed after talking about parenting for half an hour, think about how the parents feel. You know, you're so affirming, Kat. It's just so great. You know, I am a psychiatrist. It is my job. <laughs> well, I mean, Kat, what have we learned today? Well, we talked about how the decision to start a family and residency is a difficult one. The decision is constrained by the fact that we, as residents, have really inflexible work schedules. This makes it difficult to meet the obligations of parenting. And because of that inflexibility, we talked about how it's important to be on the same page as your partner. And even consider your partner's career. Do they have a flexible career that it will allow them to pick up some of the load of parenting that residency might prevent you from taking on? And of course, we went through some of the basics in terms of time off and finances. Basically, we summarized the union-negotiated benefits that you can access as a resident. Benefits that are not necessarily available to staff physician, which is the hidden gem of having a child during residency. And speaking of staff, we talked about how most residents are in their prime childbearing years. So for female residents who want to carry the pregnancy, there's an additional biological push to have children during residency. Hmm. So despite all the call, there actually are advantages of having kids during residency? Who knew? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, we still really haven't looked into what it actually means to be pregnant or raise your children during residency. Those are entirely different factors to consider. Definitely. And we'll be covering those in the next two segments of this mini-series. Stay tuned and keep us locked and loaded in your podcast streams. For sure. Catch everyone soon, and thanks for listening. Well, that ends the topic of the day. It does not end the show. We have a few more things to cover. As you know, every week we like to talk about upcoming events. In the next month, we got quite a few things going on. To begin with, we're currently looking for submissions for the Pulse newsletter. If you're interested in writing an article for the Pulse, be sure to contact resident doctors of BC. On the 9th of June, we have our practice survival skills workshop. This is for residents who are about to start a new practice and need to know all the nitty gritty about being a doctor that we never get taught in residency, like MSP billing, how to hire an MOA, stuff like that. It sounds very interesting and unfortunately very boring, but very necessary. If it's something that might interest you, be sure to check out our website to sign up. On the 13th of June, we have a special general meeting for the resident doctors of BC. At that meeting, we'll be discussing changes to our bylaws and constitution, so this is really important for the way that we function as a union. If union governance interests you at all, be sure to drop by. It's open to all members, and if you're a resident doctor in British Columbia, you are a member of the resident doctors of BC. On the 27th of June, we have our new member orientation, so that's orientation for the brand new first year residents. If you can make it, it'd be great to have some upper year residents there, just to talk to all the new residents about what they can expect as they embark on their medical career. In terms of the signed off section of the show, and just a reminder, this is where we talk about things that the resident doctors of BC has accomplished on your behalf, we got one big item. 
Dr. David Kim, the president of the Resident Doctors of BC, who's a second year resident in emergency medicine, held a news conference with the Minister of Health, the Honorable Adrian Dix, this past Sunday. David and Adrian were announcing a brand new strategy that the provincial government has put in place to hire 200 new family physicians to staff new urgent primary care centers and to create new community health centers. This policy is a sea change in the way that primary care will be delivered in the province of British Columbia. Now, as all things political go, we have yet to receive a ton of details, but we can state up front that it looks like there will be 200 new positions for family physicians all across our province. At the Resident Doctors of BC, we're really excited to hear that, and we will continue to advocate on your behalf to make sure that if and when this policy comes to fruition, Resident Doctors of BC play an integral role. Moving on to the consults pending, so this is where we talk about things that Resident Doctors of BC is currently working on, uh, on your behalf. We've got one big issue. As you may know, negotiations for a new contract between us and the provincial government are starting up. So we're starting to discuss what this means with all the representatives on the Council of Program Representatives, also known as COPER. So if you have any questions about negotiations and how negotiations with the provincial government will play out, feel free to contact us or talk to your COPER rep. Every residency program has a representative on COPER. If your residency program doesn't, be sure to talk to everyone in your program and get someone assigned to join our COPER meetings. At COPER meetings, we discuss important things that are relevant to your program, but most importantly, we also discuss negotiations and how those will play out. So if it's something that interests you, be sure to talk to your COPA rep or you can talk to us directly. As always, if you have any ideas for stories or would like to be featured on the podcast, please feel free to contact myself at podcast at residentdoctorsofbc.ca. And just a reminder, this was only part one in what we expect to be a three-part mini-series on starting a family in residency, so be sure to check your podcast feed over the next few weeks as we release the next few episodes in this mini-series. Thanks again for listening. Hope you have a great day.